Uh, please, everyone, take a book yourself. This is a handbook for the court, for the course, Christianity Explored. Yep, there you go. One for each person. One for each person. Okay. <clears throat> we'll use we'll use these throughout the course, and uh, and I'll ex I'll walk you through the book here in just a few minutes. What we're going to do today is begin the course Christianity Explored. Uh, this is version three of it. It's been through a lot of field testing over the last 20, 25 years. And so we're having uh, uh, the benefit of, of version three. Uh, it's a seven-week course with three days away. I'm going to explain all that as we, as we, go, th uh, as we go through this. Um, the, the course takes advantage of three uh, of the important themes in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there's a lot of themes in any of the four Gospels. Uh, but in Mark, uh, in an evangelistic way, we see three themes that this course will capture. Identity, mission, and call. We, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Identity has to do with who is Jesus. Was he a great prophet, a great teacher, a great healer? Or was, was he something far more? And of course, we know he was God himself. Uh, mission has to do with why did Jesus come? And of course, our mission gets subsumed into that, if you will. But the mission is the, uh, the one word for why did Jesus come? What was his purpose in coming to earth? And then his call. How should we respond uh, to Jesus and, and to his message? Uh, in the course, uh, the course weaves these through and flows them through all seven weeks, including the three days away. Weeks one and two drive us toward the identity of Christ. Uh, then weeks three, four, and five move us into his mission. And then week six, then three day aways. And then week seven takes us to his call. And uh, <clears throat> that's how the course is, is put together. And it flows the participants through uh, the Gospel of Mark, highlighting these themes, which are so important from an evangelistic standpoint. Um, so you'll see that uh, play out as we go through these, these seven weeks. We're going we're gonna to take about nine weeks to go through these ten videos, ten sessions. We'll double up uh, when we get to the, some of the day away sessions because uh, a couple of them are, are fairly short. For the course itself, each session has three components to it. Uh, and and a, each, each session can be covered with participants somewhere between an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. It depends on how, how many questions and how, uh, how uh, you know, participative the, the, the participants are. But I've just assumed a, a one hour session. But each, each session has three sections. There's an explore, listen, and discuss. Explore is a short Bible study where there's five or six questions for a passage of scripture. Uh, that's roughly 15 to 20 minutes. Then the listen is the video. I've, I've rounded it to 20, but uh, the shortest of the videos is about 10 minutes. The longest is about 18 minutes. And then there's a, a set of two to three discussion questions at the end where we just throw things out based on the talk. What do you think about this? What are you, 
what is in your head as we go through this. What we're going to do uh, beginning today is kind of a class simulation. We're going to pretend this is a real class, but in a sense it is a real class. Uh, if there were this many people in a Christ Christianity Explored class, we would divide all of us up around tables. And that's how we'll have the setup for the Wednesday night that we begin uh, in January. We'll have six to eight people per table with one to two or two or three table leaders at each table. And that way everyone can uh, ask their questions and participate in the discussion. So that's a, a basic framework of how the, how the course works. And if you have your handbook in front of you, um, I'm going to point out a few things uh, about the handbook. You can look at the table of contents. It uh, is, I don't, it's not, it's not a numbered page, but it's at the, looks like about page two or three. Uh, you can see the, the topic and the title of each of the sessions that we'll be uh, going through. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll do session one uh, today. And session one is somewhat of an introductory session. It's a time to get to know the participants who are on the course uh, and have turned up for the class. So there's a little less content in session one in order to allow time to get to know uh, what uh, uh, the people who are around the tables. Uh, and so I want to have you turn to session two, which is a more typical uh, session and, and show you how, how the flow works for each evening. And that it begins on page 13. Uh, you know, we, we, we begin after the first session. We'll begin each, each, uh, each session with, do you have any questions based on your readings and your homework for, from the previous week? Uh, and if a participant does their readings and their, uh, their homework from each week, they'll read through the Gospel of Mark by the time we get to session five or six. But if you'll notice on page 13, under the explore section, uh, we'll have a reading, uh, and the, one of the table leaders will read the, the reading for that week. In this particular week, it's uh, Mark 4, verses 35 through 41, which happened to be the reading for, uh, included in the reading for today's worship service. And then you'll notice the, uh, uh, the questions begin, what hope of surviving the storm did the disciples have? And then there's three or four questions that we go through uh, together with all of the uh, participants. Now, for some, uh, uh, some of our guests, this may be the first time they will have ever answered a question based on a passage of Scripture. Uh, so we want to... Uh, make sure that we're, we're sensitive to them. We want to make sure we're not using big religious words. We don't want to roll out all of our uh, theological uh, uh, vocabulary. We want to be uh, careful and sensitive to them for that. But it's really exciting uh, just the fact that uh, here for the first time someone may be answering a question based on, uh, based on Scripture. So once uh, we've gone through those, we take 15 or 20 minutes to do that. Then on page 14, I'm sorry, on page uh, 16, uh, we move to the listen session. And this is where we will watch the video. For the first week, it's just a little more than 10 minutes. And we'll watch that in just a few minutes. 
But on page 16, there's an outline of, uh, of the talk. Kind of hits the high points or the highlights of the talk that will be given in the, in the video. Uh, the presenter for all 10 of these uh, sessions is Rico Tice, whom you all, who many of you met uh, last week. Um, he's certainly a, a great communicator. Uh, and he's the presenter uh, in, these, uh, in all 10 of these uh, sessions. And then on page 17, you have the, the uh, two uh, discussion uh, questions for this week. Uh, and so those are just thrown out to the table. What do you think about this? And uh, question one is, what do you think of the evidence that Mark gives us from the, uh, from the talk and from the uh, session, uh, from the explore session at the beginning? Then on page 18, you have the follow-up, and this is the homework. Follow-up is a nice word for homework because all of us have been through school. We know what homework makes us feel like, uh, so it's uh, labeled as follow-up. Uh, and the participant for this week would read Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 5.43 and answer these questions. Uh, my experience is some participants will do that and some will not, but... Uh, uh, but uh, we would encourage them to, to read through it and to answer these questions. And when we come to the next week's session, we'll begin by say, saying, did you have any, any questions from your, your reading and from the follow-up questions that, uh, that were there? So each week is structured that way. Uh, and toward the end of the book, I want to point out a few, uh, a few of the helps. It has something on, if you look on page 71, through 73, there's some uh, information that shows the re historical reliability of the Gospel of Mark. So these are, are useful to have uh, kind, of, kind of some proofs that the, of the validity of Scripture. Now also, if you look on page 70, uh, you can see where, where this course is moving the participants to. Uh, and Page 70 is a little questionnaire. It's, uh, the la uh, it's question three, which is part of the discuss uh, section of the last and final, uh, you know, session seven, which is the final uh, uh, section of that week. Uh, how would you score the following statements? And you'll notice these statements have to do with identity, mission, and call. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. How would you rate yourself? Uh, zero, it means you don't believe that. Ten, you're totally convinced that he is the Son of God. Uh, the second uh, rating, Jesus came to rescue me from my sin. A uh, person can score themselves from zero to ten. And the final question having to do with his call. Following Jesus means denying myself and putting Jesus first, whatever the cost. Again, they can rate themselves zero to ten. And encourage participants to uh, to to say where they are and to reveal where they are. We've created a safe environment for them to be open and honest with what they think and what they believe. But notice uh, right below there, it says the what now. And then Mark 115 is, uh, is written out. It says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe of the good news. So the course is driving and moving a person encouraging them to, to repent and put their trust in Christ. So that's the, the main focal point and driver uh, of, of the course. Now, what I would encourage you to do, and hopefully we're going to use this year after year, 
uh, and hopefully you'll have a chance to take a neighbor or a family member through the course. Uh, what I've done is turn my handbook into kind of a little study guide, and I have uh, I've taken a lot of notes. I've even printed off some things on my printer, some proof text for, well, not proof text, but historical proofs and validations of the uh, reliability of Scripture. I've, I've done a little comparison of how historically reliable the Gospel of Mark is, and I compared that with how historically unreliable the Book of Mormon is. Uh, the Book of Mormon covers you know, North America or maybe even Central and South America, and it names places and people and nations and tribes, but there's not a single in-the-ground archaeological evidence to support anything in the Book of Mormon. Whereas the, you know, the, the Bible is loaded with historical proofs. And I have I've, uh, cited some archaeologists and, and scholars uh, that uh, can, can validate that. For example, one uh, New Testament uh, scholar, uh, Norman Geisler, quoted in New Evidence that demands a verdict. He says, in all, Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands, all without a single error. So just some little things to help some people come to realize that we're talking about a historical document. Uh, it can be checked. It can be validated. Uh, and whenever it is checked and validated, it comes out looking pretty good. Uh, matter of fact, it comes out looking spectacular. So anyway, I would encourage you. I have other things that I've taped and noted in here. I would encourage you to turn this into your little evangelism handbook, if you will. Uh, and I would also encourage you to write in pencil. I've learned that you know, a brilliant insight today, five years later, may or may not hold up, that, but that, then I can just put what I learned there and, and bring it up to date. But uh, I find it uh, very useful as we go through the course. Uh, so any questions about the handbook uh, at this point? Okay. Okay, no questions. Uh, pretty straightforward. Well, if you would, turn to page 7, and I will call our class to order. We're going to begin our first session with Christianity Explored. And what I want you to do is we're going we're gonna to answer this first question. What's the best news you've ever heard? So I want all of you to take a few minutes, take three or four minutes, and just write down in here, or think about, if you don't have a pencil, uh, what is the best news you've ever heard? Let's take a few minutes and do that. Everyone have a handbook? I've got, there's probably some more, there are more around. Does anybody need one? Okay. I've got I've got a few more over here as well. Well, I don't. I'm out. I'll bring some more next week. I'll bring some more next week. Oh, you got an extra over here? Okay. There you go. 
Okay, let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask some of you to share what your answer was to the best news that you've ever heard. Todd? When Pam said yes. <laughs> That's pretty good news. <laughs> she didn't know you very well, right? <laughs> what else? You put, you, you, you put up a high bar, Todd. Uh, Paula? Learning that you were pregnant. That's outstanding. Who else? You got to participate here. I mean, mine wasn't as, as noble as some of those were. I've, I've, I jotted several down over the years, but one, you know, my, my university, Mississippi State, has not had, uh, is not known as a powerhouse in football. Uh, but in 1980, Mississippi State had a win against maybe, I think they were number one ranked Alabama, six to three. And for the next many years, you saw bumper stickers in Mississippi that just said six dash three. Of course, everyone knew what that meant. So, uh, but, you know, I guess my little small world there. What else? Anybody? We have a bashful crowd here. Jen? Yeah, I was already in several, but like when the kids come home with news that is clearly an answer to prayer that we had, or like big one is when Aaron became a believer. Yeah. Shocking. Yep. <laughs> Indeed, pretty good news for sure. Okay, so you can see this is kind of an icebreaker, but it kind of leads into what we're about to be talking about and studying over the next uh, several weeks. So. Uh, at this point, <coughs> we'll uh, queue up the, the video and we'll take uh, a few minutes to, to go through this. Stones, millions of millions of miles above us, 
Apparently, there are at least 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And scientists estimate there are at least 100 billion galaxies in the universe. And it's not just the larger things in life that are truly remarkable. It's the smaller things, too. There are 75,000 miles of blood vessels crammed inside us and at least 50 trillion cells. If the DNA from a single human cell was stretched out, it would measure about six feet in length. So if all the DNA contained within the cells of a single human being was stretched out and laid end to end, it would reach all the way to the moon and back again 8,000 times. You're amazing. And if you saw something that's stunning in a gallery or heard something that beautiful on the radio, you'd instinctively ask, who created it? And if someone were to tell you that this incredible piece of art or music just came together by itself without any author to create it, would you believe them? The Bible quite unashamedly says that all this natural beauty is meant to point us towards God, the one who created the extraordinary scale and complexity of the universe we live in and the bodies we inhabit. But as a younger man, I had a real problem with all that. Although my experience of the universe was that it really was extraordinary, Christianity definitely was not. First of all, it was incredibly dull. I used to go to church about once a month, and when I did, I just sat there counting the number of bricks up the wall. Secondly, I couldn't see what it had to do with me. I couldn't relate to the religious people I met, and I couldn't see the point of reading a book written 2,000 years ago and 2,000 miles away. I thought it was a bunch of rules telling me how to live my life, and actually, my life was pretty good, so I didn't need any of them. Then thirdly, and most importantly, I just thought it wasn't true. I didn't have a problem with Christmas, and as you can probably guess, I had no problem with Christmas stuffing. But Christianity itself was make-believe. I never mistook it for the real world. But then my brother did something that started to change the way I thought about Christianity. He opened a Bible and showed me the very first sentence of a book called Mark. It says this, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. He said to me, Rico, you just don't understand what Christianity is about. You think it's all about churches and rules and leaving your brain at the door and having all your fun spoiled. But, he said to me, that's not what it's about. The first sentence of Mark says that Christianity is about Christ. He explained that the word Christ isn't Jesus' second name. It's a title, like president or prime minister, and it means God's only chosen king. And Christ was an extremely dangerous word for Mark to use here, because at the time he was writing, Roman emperors were said to have divine authority. To speak of Jesus as God's only true representative on earth was the kind of thing that got you thrown into the Colosseum to be torn apart by wild animals. Mark's claim that Jesus is the Christ, God's only chosen king, is just as controversial today. I wonder what you make of it. Then my brother pointed me back to the first sentence in Mark, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. He said, Rico, not only is Christianity about Jesus Christ, it's the gospel about Jesus Christ. The word gospel literally means good news, but that doesn't really do it justice. It's more like the announcement that war is finally over. 
It's the kind of news that makes people dance in the streets and hug complete strangers. It's that good. So one thing I'd like to say as we start to explore Mark together is this. When you hear what you're about to hear, if you don't think it's the best news you've ever heard, you can be absolutely certain you've not understood it. And it would be so easy to miss. Have you ever had the experience of walking down the main street of a city and being offered a leaflet? You ignore it or take it and then ignore it because you don't think it will do you any good. Well, there was an experiment conducted by a London newspaper. They got a man to stand just here outside Oxford Circus tube station, offering people a leaflet. On the leaflet was the free offer of five pounds. All you had to do was bring the leaflet back to the man and he would hand you the cash right there on the spot. Hordes of people passed him, and in three hours, only 11 people came back for the money. They thought they already knew what he was handing out, that it wouldn't do them any good, so they either didn't bother to take it, they didn't bother to read it, or if they did read it, they simply refused to believe it. Please don't make the same mistake with Mark's Gospel. Make time to pick it up and read it. Take a look at what Mark has to say about Jesus, and as you do that, I hope you'll begin to see why Mark describes Jesus as good news. No one knows exactly when Mark wrote his gospel, but it was most likely between 45 and 60 AD, within about 20 years of Jesus' death. Mark was being guided by one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, a man who was an actual eyewitness of the remarkable events that occurred. And they were remarkable events. Right from the beginning of Mark's Gospel, strange things start to happen, supernatural things. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Heaven gets torn open, the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus, and God the Father announces, you are my son. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, this is just flat out weird, you're not the only one. Mark tells us that people thought exactly the same thing 2,000 years ago, including Jesus' closest followers. But maybe they should have expected it. Early in Mark's Gospel, we read a 700-year-old prediction that someone called the Lord was on his way. In other words, get ready, God is coming to meet you. The prediction also says that a messenger in the desert will tell people that the Lord is coming. That messenger, according to Mark chapter 1, was a man called John the Baptist. Mark tells us that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. They flocked to him because if God was coming, they knew they needed to be ready. They knew from their own experience they were not the people they wanted to be, let alone the people God wanted them to be. So John offers them baptism with water as a sign of being washed clean, of being forgiven. When the person was lowered into the water, it was a symbol of dying to the old self. And when they were lifted out of the water, it was a symbol of being raised to new life. But John knows that when the Lord himself comes, he will offer them, and us, so much more. 
After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What John is saying is absolutely stunning. He's claiming that Jesus Christ will not only offer complete forgiveness to all those who put their trust in him, he will also fill those people with God's Holy Spirit, who will radically transform their lives. To those who know they are not the people they want to be, let alone the people God wants them to be, this is the best, the most remarkable news in the world. But is it true? It's certainly true that what Mark reports isn't the kind of thing people normally experience. And if Jesus is just an ordinary man, then what we read here is simply not believable. But if, as Mark claims, Jesus is much more than that, then it shouldn't surprise us that extraordinary things are starting to happen. And that is the beginning of the good news that Mark has for us. God has actually revealed himself to us in human history through Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, all the guessing games about God stop. The good news, according to Mark, is that Jesus really is the Christ, God's only chosen king. But Mark is just getting started. Okay. I think that is the shortest of the videos that we have in this series. So, in your handbook, let's look on the facing page from the outline. And at this point, we'll move to the discussion questions on page 9 <clears throat> for this first session. And so this is just thrown out to our table, and since we're all one class, you're the table, we're the table. Uh, is there anything that intrigues or puzzles you about Jesus? I can think of a lot of things, so... What, what puzzles you or intrigues you about Jesus? I'm dying up here, guys. Help me out. David? Yeah, makes a big question mark, right? J.D.? Why did he come then? Yeah, that is it's intriguing. Uh, Yes, the other JD. How is he fully God and fully man? How can that be? It's kind of mind boggling. Margie, you had something? Why, why doesn't Jesus get angry more often when they were so insulting to him? Yeah, indeed. There's a lot of things, uh, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's just humility. It's just intriguing that he would humble himself to the wall, that he would yeah. be baptized, that he would yeah. do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, he would be baptized and submit to John's uh, baptism of repentance. Yeah, when he was sinless himself. Yeah, quite uh, unique and puzzling. What else? What about the 2,000 pigs that went down the drain? Is that intriguing? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I keep searching for answers uh, there. What about his... What about his, you know, you, someone raised, why didn't he get angry more often? But uh, think about his so-called cleansing or purging of the temple. Well, he did get angry. Uh, that, that's kind of intriguing as well. Anything else on that? And at this point, when we have guests on our, in our course, we're, we're, we're hoping that we learn a lot about what's in their head, what they think, what they perceive. And I think it's very useful uh, in going through a, a class with, uh, with non-believers to jot down what their questions are. And let's try to see that they have an answer as we go through the course uh, and, and show them in Scripture what, what their question, uh, what might pertain to their, to their questions. So the discussion phase is a chance for us to learn what, uh, what our, what our uh, guests uh, believe and what they're thinking what they're wrestling with, uh, struggling with. Uh, the next question is, how do you feel about reading the Gospel of Mark? And so I won't take, take answers for that. I'm assuming you're good with reading through Mark's Gospel. Uh, now, question three is a little more difficult question. If you could ask God one question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? Uh, the, in the second edition of of uh, that preceded this of the course that was the very first question on page one uh, I, I'm still I still sort of wish it was on page one but I'm glad it's retained so uh, you know and we can all identify with that and uh, ha have your own questions ready but if you could ask God one question and you knew he would answer it answer it what would it be Joseph yeah, <clears throat> how does the Trinity work? Yes, great question. I won't try to answer that one today. Yeah, yeah. what else? Yes, David. How can this be true for me? How can it be true for me? And how can I know it's real? And, what, and kind of a sub-component, what's relevant for me? Uh, J.D.? Yeah, why choose some and not others? Yeah, I hope I don't get that question. That's a hard one, but it's a valid one. <clears throat> what else, Matt? Why did you choose me? Why did you choose me? Yeah, why is that so amazing? Why is that so amazing? Yeah. No, typically. Yeah. Now, question is: uh, Have the participants at this point on session one already read Mark's gospel? But the answer is typically no, uh, because you know this is our first session. We're giving them a, a copy of the gospel of Mark, but uh, typically they haven't. Some will have had some church background, and they might have. Um, yeah. I have an, <clears throat> a neighbor from Beirut. He's 
uh, researcher at Vanderbilt, uh, Jen, uh, who knows him? Jen, no, uh, Kate knows him. And uh, I gave him a Gospel of Mark, and then some months later gave him a, a Bible. And when he started reading it, he said, you know, these stories that I was taught when I was a young person in a Catholic school that I attended, he attend, you know, his family was Muslim, yet he attended a Catholic school, so they, they brought some familiarity back to him. But uh, he didn't really know a lot about what they meant. He just saw something that was familiar, which kind of drew him in just a little bit. But for some, it may be the first time they've ever read uh, uh, the Scripture. Good question. Any other comments? To the third question... I often see the question about suffering arise. Uh, that comes up. Uh, and it's good to kind of think about that. And, and I think it's important, especially on a question about suffering, is that there aren't, you know, there aren't a lot of great answers. It is one of the mysteries in life. Uh, but Christianity and the Bible gives the best answers that I've ever seen that help to explain suffering. Uh, that's kind of an easy, soft approach to answering that question. But... Um, I think it's good for us to, to answer in, 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 in honesty and to let them know that uh, even though we are Christians and believers, that uh, we're still on a journey. We're still learning and don't, know, don't have an answer to, to everything. Uh, Chase? Yeah, I take two approaches, uh, Chase. If I, if I feel like I have an answer that I can point them to, I will throw that out. Uh, it's ideal if we have a scripture passage that we can have them read. Uh, but if I don't have a good answer, I say, well, I'm, I'm, we'll search for an answer for that over, the, over this course. Uh, I think it's really important for us to write down their questions uh, and to try to help address those as we go through. You know, because a big part of what we're inviting people to do is bring your questions. We, we, we are interested in them. We do care about them. Uh, and it gives a person a chance to verbalize things. Maybe it's questions they've wanted to ask for a long time but had nobody uh, to, ask that to uh, ask that to. And that's the other thing in this, uh, in this class. Uh, you know, the, the opening opening sequence for this first class is so introductory but in the in the next session where we're going through and answering questions related to the scripture passage we want to be somewhat quiet here we want to let them dig that out of the passage uh, we don't want we don't want to rush and throw all the answers on the on the table we want to let them kind of dig it out of the passage uh, and it's okay to have some moments of silence during that during that period and Sometimes the leader can reread the, the verse that may answer that question and ask them to, what do you see in there? Does that, is there an answer in that verse? Uh, so we want it, really wanting to have a dialogue, and we do not want to uh, dominate that dialogue. Uh, we want to try to keep it flowing, keep it going, keep it moving. Uh, but that's an important part about being a table leader. That's the hardest thing for me is not to blurt out the answer. It seems so obvious right here, but uh, it's hard to just refrain and let there be a moment of silence. And on my Wednesday morning Bible study where we have 
over Skype have three uh, non-believers on, on the class. That's really hard, but I've, I've learned the value of just remaining quiet. Let them deal with the question. Let them pull something out. Uh, and as, as I um, restrain that and, and exercise some discipline, uh, it really gets some, some really good dialogue going, uh, really good discussion. Yes, David. Well, yes, the, the question is on the bottom of page 9, there are some definitions of Bible words, and should we call attention to that? How should we use that? Uh, I think every lesson uh, on the similar page has a set of definitions. For example, on uh, page 17, uh, the discuss section of session 2, uh, there are Bible words, and it defines disciples, Sabbath, sins, blaspheming Son of God. So, yes, uh, they're there for a purpose. Uh, and I typically just point out to the participants those definitions and encourage them, if they have any questions about them, uh, to, uh, to please raise those. Or, if I see that they are having a misunderstanding about them, I might point it out to them uh, there. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's to facilitate discussion, to facilitate understanding. The course assumes little or no knowledge about the Bible. Uh, and that's one of the things that's so non-threatening about it uh, and, and, and disarming about it. It's uh, so good, good questions. <clears throat> Anything else? Well, thank you. You didn't leave me hanging up here. Uh, most Sundays I prepare about twice as much as I have time to cover. Uh, this Sunday I didn't prepare probably as much as I could have covered, but uh, uh, good discussion. And, um, and we'll, do this, we'll follow this same format. And what I want you to feel is what I felt the first time I went to a class in 2005. I said, wow, this is great stuff. And I was kicking myself that I had not invited someone to the class. Uh, and that was the last class that I've ever participated in that I didn't invite someone to come along. So, uh, so good. Thank you for your discussion. Hopefully you're finding this uh, very useful. And you can see how this gives a person time to digest the content of the gospel. It gives, gives the Lord time to work on their hearts and soften their hearts and open blind eyes uh, as, as we go through this uh, over time. So, all right, let me close us in prayer here this morning. Father, we thank you for this tremendous gospel material that you've placed into our hands. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us, every one of us, an open door with some neighbors or friends or uh, family members that we can engage and in, to invite and come along to hear this great news, this best news of all. I just pray that you would give us that open door, Lord. And we acknowledge that we are so dependent upon you, not only in doing evangelism and, uh, and our inability to open someone's eyes, but even our inability to persuade someone to come along to the course. Lord, we, we are so totally and completely dependent upon you. We just, we call out to you, we cry out to you that you would have mercy on our friends and family and others and that you would give us the privilege of uh, having this meaningful gospel conversation with them. Lord, we, just, we ask for you to guide our steps, open our paths, and, 
and give us these opportunities. We lift this before you in Jesus' name. Amen.